This is the Get a Life Podcast. X-Cult Conversations. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are here with Carmen, Richard, and Lane, and a very special guest, Terry Smith. Um, I have to say, Terry has had to walk up every mountain possible to get to the space that we're in today. Um, thank you so much, Terry, for coming. We are very, very grateful. Um, I'm going to give a, just a little bit of a background on how Terry and I stumbled upon each other. Um, when I first was trying to figure out if I could find other people from Maple Creek that had experienced what I experienced when I was younger, I had carefully reached out to ex-members here and there. And one day I was kind of just thinking, you know what, there was somebody that I hadn't reached out to that I thought, you know, maybe I better reach out to her. She was from a large family. Um, I had found it odd that she had left. And so I had reached out to the sex member and the sex member had put me in touch with Terry. She said that she hadn't had anything happen to her, but that she had worked with somebody and had found someone who had reached out to her about specifically the same perpetrator that I had had. So Terry and I got into touch and needless to say, it was a very emotional um, phone call. She had been waiting very patiently for somebody to blow this up and that she could bring her story forward. But in that, I have to say, though, Terry, you also I mean, yours is very much more recent than mine is. I've had I, I mean, I've been in therapy for a long time. Yours is a lot more recent. And so I've had a lot of questions. You were supposed to go into James's podcast and had technical difficulties. And then you had some stuff come up personally that you needed to take care of before we could get to this stage again. So we are very grateful that you are here today. Um, I guess my biggest thing is, is you worked at cutting edge. Um, and I know a lot of people know that at cutting edge is, was, was originally run by Tim and Arden bond. Um, I know I had a, a brother that worked there. Um, and how long, how long did you work at Cutting Edge overall in between? I know you were in and out of there, but overall, yeah. how long were you there for? Um, so I started in 2003. Um, I think it was like September of 2003. Um, and I worked there until uh, May of 2005 when I went on maternity leave. Um, and then um I had a baby my my baby died um they wouldn't give me my job back because I had they had had me sign a paper before I left stating that I would not come back after my mat leave um that the person that takes my mat leave position would keep my job because they said it cutting edge said it wasn't fair to bring somebody in for a year for a mat leave and then let them go and give me my job back. Hmm. So they had me sign a piece of paper stating that when my mat leave was up, I would not come back. So then um, I didn't work for them again until 2000 and okay. When was the flood? 2010. Yeah. Um, so then I went back to them in 2010 
and then I worked on and off until 2019. Mm-hmm. Okay, that? so um, obviously you came into Maple Creek, right? So mm-hmm. when you when you applied at Cutting Edge, did you know who they were? Did you understand what religion they were? No, um, I I didn't really know anybody in. Uh, I didn't know a lot of people in Maple Creek. My ex husband was from here. So we had moved here um, because that's where his family was from. And I worked around the clock. So, I mean, I, and I had little babies. My, my sons were two. So, and my daughter was 12. So um, I just work at home. I was working at Sandstore. Sandstore was about to close. I needed, uh, I needed full-time work and benefits and they put an, the cutting edge had an ad, I believe, in the paper looking for people. So I just applied. And I was the first non-brethren member to work at Cutting Edge. So it was I was the only non-brethren working there at first. And you had no idea what you were in for for those. No, next- they so you go through a three interview process. Um if you make it to the third interview, you, you've got the job. And then they kind of explain a little bit about their, their religion, like uh, the skirt thing. We went over the skirt thing. I had to wear the skirt because it looks more, we had to, you know, look professional because it is very professional looking to be in a dust covered skirt covered in. Yeah. <laughs> so they did explain a little bit. They explained that I, wouldn't be allowed to eat or have coffee breaks with them and they said it was it was nothing against me it's just their belief um so I had to have my lunches and breaks in Arden's office Mm -hmm. um but that's that's the extent of what I knew and I just kind of learned as I was there and honestly speaking up until that point um I didn't actually I don't know. Maybe I just didn't notice uh, brethren people in Maple Creek or whatever. I don't know. I don't think they were really as involved with the community back then. Mm. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so overall, looking back at Cutting mm-hmm. Edge. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know this is so hard because you've got so many layers to you have so many layers to what you went through in there. And mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how we're going to co- all cover this in one podcast. But um, what would you say the overall culture was like at, cu- at the cutting edge workplace? Um, so when I first started, it seemed very, it was very family oriented. It seemed yeah. like it was a very caring kind of supportive environment um they they were always very pleasant always smiling mm-hmm. yeah um the kill me with kindness smile um and they would kind of use that smile and stuff to kind of like oh i know you've got a lot going on and you said you can't really work a lot of extra overtime but just this once can you do this just this once can you do that um and then it progressed kind of um in the later years working there the culture was very much 
give until you die. Yeah. <laughs> like you just yeah. give and give and give and give and give. Mm-hmm. And so much micromanaging, like, you know, you had to ask this person who asked this person who asked this person who asked that person who asked that person, you know, like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a huge chain of command, basically. Yeah. And like, uh, they, we brought, they brought in some consultants. Uh, I think it was in like 2005, some business consultants, they came in and kind of, that's when we had to start writing down what we did every 15 minutes and handing it in at the end of the day. Were these uh, so consultants have, brethren members? I believe so. I believe the first ones were the second consultant. I, I'm still trying to figure out who he is. Um, I know his name, but I don't know if he's brethren. He looked brethren. He, he seemed quite, they, they lunched together. They used to get catering to come in. Um, oh, well, if, he, if they ate if, together, if he lunched he together, he was brethren. Yeah. If they ate yeah. together. He would have been brethren. Yes. That would have been your. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Cause the reason I'm asking that is because that means that this business consultant didn't have a business degree. Oh yeah. no, 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 no. Um, all of the stuff. And, 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 the thing was all of the stuff that they would tell us, like the quality, if they wanted perfect quality, so send it back, you know, but when we try to send it back, they wouldn't let us send back a piece of wood that had a big knot in it. Let's fill it and fix it and see what we can do and save some money. Um, so it was like, they tell us to do something. We try to do it. They'd stop us. And it just, and, and you'd have to go through that whole chain of command again. Um, and then later when I was, when I was named um, a manager of the spray booth, because I was a woman, um, I was told that if I wanted something done, it was best to ask a male supervisor and have him ask the staff because it would carry more clout coming from a man. Wow, (laughs) blatant misogyny. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, a- actually, of course, the real reason is that, according to their religious ideas, yeah, um, they can't take. You must never. Things. Yeah, you can't take orders from a woman. No. So they had to have no. this workaround. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So who all who all owned Cutting Edge? I mean, who were the bosses? Okay. So in the beginning, it was Arden and Tim Bond brothers. Right. Yeah. Yes. Um, at some point, there was a split after the second consultant. Um, and things didn't, it had to do with a big machine they invested in um, that didn't work, spent millions on. Um, and then Arden left the company very quickly. He still remained working in the building in a separate, in his office, but he and his daughter who went with him, uh, they started working for the school fundraising. He became involved with that and tim ran cutting edge they stained in the same building but they exited through separate doors and as (laughs) far as i know they had no contact with each other um so separation within the separation yes so then tim so then tim tim was running it and he handed over the shop and other stuff to his kids um who did some webinars online after after graduation and i think it was about six months that they did these webinars after hours up in the conference room for bruce hales and after six months they informed me that they had a master's in business 
and they took over the company. A master's in business from where? Um, it was this online. It's I believe it said Stanford, but it wasn't the real Stanford or Harvard. It was one of those two. And I was like looking at it and I was like, damn, you, you guys are smart. You can get three and six months from Harvard working full time and doing it part time. Man, play. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's, I, here's the first thing that I want to get into first is, okay, let's get, actually, no, I'm going to back up. Let's get it uh, done and over with. Obviously we have a perpetrator in in common. I want to share, um, some text messages that you sent Janelle. So Janelle used to work with you, right? Yeah. And then she left the Plymouth Brethren. And yes, she did. I think it was 2004, 2005 yeah. when she left. And so when you started having things happen to you inside Cutting Edge, mm-hmm. you reached out to her, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And you're okay that I share these, right? Absolutely. Okay. Can you guys see those? Is that big? Yes. Yep. Good. Okay. So this is in 2014. And this, I'm assuming, is your first text message to Janelle. on trying to figure out what you can do with your situation inside there right yes yeah so um the the first text that terry gives janelle is so what do you think would happen if i filed a sexual harassment claim against a peed would i pretty much be shit in this town (laughs) so it just goes on janelle asks do you mind if i ask who and terry says i was having problems with ellen drever he was even coming to my house but the big problem is Garth. So now I want to tell our listeners that, and the listeners that are inside there, the listeners in Maple Creek, Terry has done a police report. It has been filed. This is filed. It was around the same time that I did my filing. It's all been filed. Um, Investigation is very much happening. I want to tell the PBCC members that are in there, especially in Maple Creek, just because you do not have police knocking on your doorstep does not mean that this investigation is not happening. This just absolutely infuriates the crap out of me that you think that you are clear and you're free just because the police are not knocking on your doorstep. I can guarantee you this investigation is happening within Terry, within myself, and also my uncle who has has, has reported um, Ellen as well. Um, Sorry, I had to get that rant over. I get so frustrated yeah. when I get those emails Absolutely. of like hearing people inside saying that they think it's all in the clear. It is not all in the clear. And I, while I'm on this rant, this goes also to RRT pairing up again. I should have had this pulled up with the fire department team. Just because we've gone quiet within Maple Creek doesn't mean that we're not planning stuff in the background. You should not be pairing up with RRT. This stuff is going to blow up in their face and you're now associated with them. So step away from Maple Creek PBCC members so that you don't get caught in the riptide. Anyhow. So here is this one. You've got a text message going between Garth actually came at me in the spray booth. Um, Alan used to, but they retired him. Now he does bus deliveries. Um, I just wanted to actually show the proof of this being back in 2014 and you never made your police report until 2022. So I'm just want people to realize 
that, you know, here are the, here are the, the, the text messages. Yeah. I, I, I didn't fake it. I didn't come out of the, like, it's right there. <laughs> yes. That's what I wanted to get back to is that I couldn't predict this. No. And I mean, I have to say that when I first had my phone call with you, you were sobbing, like you were so emotionally overtaken by finally having somebody that was going to be able to give this support to you finally coming through with what happened with you with Ellen and Garth. We don't need to get into details, but I do want to get into, um, if you're willing to, is the the stalking that, um, that Ellen really portrayed and really got inside you with to the point, because I know that even though you went through with what you went through with Garth, you feel the fear of going out in Maple Creek now running into Ellen still haunts you. I don't leave my house in Maple Creek. I stay in my house. I don't even sit on my front step. I don't sit in my backyard. Um, I live two, two houses down from their main compound or church or whatever they call it. Um, their family members live all around me. They walk by my house every day. Um, I have been to the grocery store in Maple Creek three times, probably in the last few months, only because I absolutely had to. And Alan was sitting in the parking lot watching the door. So I would not go in. So I have been driving to Swift Current or Medicine Hat to do any shopping or groceries. Um, if I leave Maple Creek, I leave early, early in the morning. So no one sees that I'm leaving and I come back at night. I don't tell anybody where I am. I've been bouncing between uh, couch surfing and whatever. So people don't know where I am. And you, when you have gone out, you've had, you've run into some hit and runs recently that have just yep. mysteriously shown up. And I mean, yeah, my car has been hit and run twice, once at the post office and once at the grocery store and when I went into the grocery store it was 10 15 minutes before it was closing and the parking lot was empty there was I parked at the back I always park at the back I leave the close ones for other people it's just a habit um there was nobody parked around me and when I came out my car had been hit and then the same thing with my husband he parked at the post office he went and did some things came back our car was hit and our tire was flat so, so, I mean, and you know, I mean, it does not take any sort of a genius to understand who's doing this. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I don't know for a fact, um, but it's that fear. Mm-hmm. It's that not knowing, you know, if something's coming at me or if someone's coming at me, um, I am paranoid and I shake all the time, all the so, time. Let's, let's give an example of, um, and it's one story that you told me about Ellen, how, when you were driving home and he literally blocked your car from moving. Yeah. 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 Tell the listeners what happened that day. Okay. So I, I was working that day and my husband also worked at cutting edge at that time. Um, Alan was working there again. He had come out of retirement and he was working there and I left. Um, I believe I was taking an early lunch hour. I believe we were staggering our lunch hour. So I was going from 11 till 12 and my husband was going 12 till one. 
So I left. And as usual, if I left in the middle of the day and my husband was still at work, <laughs> Alan would go over and talk to my husband for a little bit, shake his hand, and then he'd get in his van and he'd follow me when I left. So this time he followed me to my house. I saw that he was following me. So I phoned my husband and I put it through my car um, Bluetooth. And I just told him to stay on the line and listen because Alan was following me. And I pulled into the driveway and Alan parked behind the driveway and blocked me into the driveway. He came to my car window and knocked on it. I talked, I started talking to my husband, just talking. And I just said, go with me. And I thought maybe because I was on the phone, he would leave me alone. He did not. He knocked again for me to roll down the window. So I did. My husband stayed on the phone and stayed quiet. And he asked me um, what the problem was, why I had left early, and if I needed his help. Um, he always called me his special friend. Um, and I told him that, no, I was just having lunch or whatever, and I was taking care of some stuff. And then I, I said, oh, I'm just talking to my husband right now. Um, and then I said something to the effect of, um, oh, Harry, weren't you saying that Tim needed something to be picked up? And he's like, oh, yeah, I think we need this. Hey, Alan, since you're there, <laughs> could you go get it for us? And when Alan realized he was on the phone with me, he immediately just turned around, walked to his van and drove away. And he 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 showed up at your house very early one morning, too, didn't he? Yeah, he, he showed up. I was on, um, I was on leave from work for an injury. I, I was on WCB and I hadn't been at work for a while because of this WCB thing. So my husband got to work early that or late that day. And Alan went over and talked to him and left. So my husband texted me and said, Hey, Alan just did his thing. And he got in his van. I think he's coming to your house, to our house. Um, so then there was a knock on the door. I opened it and I had my big dogs between me and my sons were home. I think he thought maybe my sons would be at school during the day, but my sons had graduated and were home. And he knocked on the door and asked me how come I hadn't been at work lately and if I was okay. And I said, I was, and he said, would you like me to come in? I can help you. If you let me come in, I can help you. And then my son peeked around the door and he said, if my mom needs any help, we've got it. Thank you. And then he said, oh, okay. Well, I was just making sure she was okay. And he left again. And I mean, these are just small instances, incidents that predator, right? I mean, yeah. I want the listeners and viewers to know we're just picking a few stories out of uh, multiple stories, multiple. Multiple, multiple, multiple stories of multiple. Um, he called, he followed me everywhere when he was on me. Like <laughs> I used to drive and make so many turns when he would follow me, I'd make extra stops and he would sit outside and wait. The one time I was so scared. I had driven around so much um, that I was worried I was going to run out of fuel. Um, and I didn't want to stop at the gas station that Instead of turning right to go to my house, because I live like right there, I turned left and I drove to Medicine Hat. And I stayed there until nighttime. 
So just to put this in context, how tall is Alan Breaver? He's well over six feet, isn't he? He's a big yeah. guy. Yeah. Called big, yeah. big Al, they call him. Big Al. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a big guy. And, and how tall are you, Terry? I am about four, ten and a half. Wow. So that's pretty intimidating yeah. to have a guy like that following you around. Yeah, and when and and for for the most part, over the years, we had a few women working, um, but for the most part, I was one of the only women um, working in the shop. Uh, Non-brethren. There were, you know, in the early days, it was almost all women working in the shop, um, and then as they got married and they left, then they, you know, they hired more people. Um, but I was the only female. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, and who are you going to complain to when they're all related? Right. Yeah. You know, and I'm not, I'm, what am I going to do? His daughter's the receptionist. Am I going to go in and put in a complaint with his daughter? Well, no. and for our listeners too, Tim and Alan are his nephews. Yeah. Tim and Arden. You know, yeah. just Tim, Tim and Arden. Tim and Arden. Alan's Sorry. Nephews. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 And his mom, his mom and stepfather also worked in the front or uh, like Tim and Arden's mom and stepfather also worked in the office. Um, what do you do? And what do you do? They're not going to believe me. Yeah. And or not only with me or they're going to, they know, they knew. Yes. You can't, and I know they knew. That's exactly what I was going to say. They talked about it. Right. The thing is, is Ellen, everybody knew about Ellen's behavior. Absolutely. 100%. And Garth. And it was so protected, right? It was just so protected. Mm -hmm. Um, You also had altercations with Garth, which is Ellen's son. And you Mm -hmm. actually filed a sexual assault police report against him. I did. Um, Yeah. So we're not, we don't need to get into the details, but um. Garth very much is following in his father's footsteps. 100%. Same language. Yeah, exactly. Same language. Yeah. Same script, same MO, like 100%. As soon as he came at me and he spoke, it was like he had been trained. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like he had been prompted. It it was just, it was like Alan 2.0. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is what you hear when you hear of the Garth yeah, story. Skinnier, younger, hear. faster, taller, stronger. Yeah, yeah. And stronger in this case where, yes, he did he did impose his strength on you, right? Like it's, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think it's just, it's just really important. And I, and I really, I guess I plead to the community of Maple Creek to understand that this, these people should not be walking the streets of Maple Creek because Terry's not even that she's not even, she was never even a member of the PBCC, right? Like she wasn't a child. This is an adult woman, right? That's what I guess it's just when you, when you, when we connected and I listened to your heart-wrenching story, it was just, it, to me, I, there was no, I knew that I had to come public with what had happened to me because where you worked at was where my brother worked at. And he was the one that had the nieces. And I know that you had witnessed a lot of inappropriate behavior with, with the, the female 
PBC women that worked there. I hope one day that the PBC females that work there will find the strength to come forward with what they went through. And that is my, my hope. Um, so to any of you that are listening to this, you're welcome to message us. You're welcome to message Terry. Um, yep. We will keep it anonymous for now. But I do think that if we're going to make a change in history, we have to make sure that we get everybody's stories to, to get these men, these men help. Right. And yep. I mean, yes, yep. I, they should be behind bars, but they also need help because it's a systemic need help. issue. Yes, they do need help. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, we have so much to cover today. I just want to go back. Let's go back into your workplace with cutting edge. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, I, you've, got, you've sent me a, a ton of pictures and we're going to use the pictures to describe kind of what you went through there. Um, yep. Because it wasn't necessarily the, the safest place to, to work. And I mean, I, you've, you've had, you've had so many, so many stories that, that is <laughs> just mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing. So let's just. Okay, so I actually let's let's start with this. So this is again, this is 2015. It's a um, I'm assuming it's a Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. Facebook, yeah. I feel a rant coming on, so bear with me, please. This is May 13th, 2015. We must present a professional environment at work, so I must wear a skirt. Does a man look professional wearing pants? I fail to see the difference. It is okay for us to wear pants under our skirts, which I do. So is that professional or do I look like a complete moron? I wear pants underneath because I'm working in a workshop. I spray chemicals that are known to cause cancer and birth defects if inhaled or absorbed through the skin. There are sharp objects everywhere and I hate coming home with bruises and cuts from unprotected legs. It's been said that wearing shorts to work is a safety hazard because of exposed skin. Not the same for a skirt, question mark. Women get sent home for showing too much shoulder. Do men, or are they just trying to stay cool in a shop that has no air conditioning and no windows and the rest is cut off? Um, so, yeah, comment on this a little bit. Yeah, so <laughs> I was working in the spray booth. Uh, I was the manager of the spray booth um, wearing a skirt. And they had given me, I had begged and pleaded for some overalls at least. Um, But putting them on over the skirt was not ideal. And they said, well, you can just change. You can get out of the skirt when you're in the booth, but then when you're in the rest of the shop, you need to like change back. I was already working until 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning. I didn't have time to run and change into my skirt and into coveralls every time I left out. Um, the coveralls were way too big for me. They were white and see-through. Um, yeah, All sorts of things. I begged for sleeves to cover my arms. Um, so I was always covered in paint. We did a women's course where um, the, the instructor actually pointed me out and said that the chemicals we were using are the same chemicals that they use in the oil field and they have to use hazmat suits when they deal with those chemicals and even when they get a splash on their coveralls they have to immediately shower take them off and change i was standing there in my skirt with my short sleeves 
covered in paint. Covered yeah, in some paint. pictures of this. So this is it the was rest even, of that. It was even, we had this little motivational staff meeting where they were trying to get morale up and they gave us little fake awards. And I used to joke that the chemicals splattered on my face because I'm very pale was like, because um, I spend all my time in the spray booth. It's the only color I get. So they gave me um, sunscreen and I think they gave me a little bottle of self-tanning lotion or something as a joke. Wow. They made light of, that is also the same staff meeting where they gave, there was a male employee who, we had a, a female uh, water cooler girl. She used to come and bring the water jugs, um, the new water jugs for our water cooler because our water wasn't drinkable. And uh, one of the men kind of had a little crush on her and she was a teenager. She was 16. Um, so they gave him an air horn. And after that, every time a woman would walk in or walk by that was attractive or whatever, they would blow the air horn and all the men would catfall. <gasps> wow. And that went on for years. That was given to that him in the staff meeting by Tim and Arden. So every time we walked by, every time I walked by Garth, they would do the air horn. And then later when I gained weight and they were starting to call me fat, they would blow the air horn and laugh at me. And I had oh to complain to Tim about that. And that was given to would, them by the boss slap, of the company. They would slap my, yeah. slap my ass and call me fat. So this air horn came from the company owners, Tim and Arden Absolutely. Bond. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know, you may not realize this, but um, when I was in the Brethren, I used to visit Maple Creek fairly frequently. Um, Tim and Arden were the leading brothers in the place at that yeah. point they were taking the lead is the terminology yeah. they use Absolutely. so like they were the chief pastors or I don't know what equivalent thing is but these are the mm -hmm. people who are supposed to be setting the moral standard for everyone else to follow yeah yeah and when you brought issues up to Tim and Arden yeah whether it be sexually like the, the harassments whatever were they were they receptive to finding a solution to it or was it covered up was it just kind of they would ask they asked me with Garth if I wanted an apology from him. And I said, no, I do not want anything to do with him. I want him to stay away from me. And they said, okay, we'll talk to him. It'll be handled. Yeah, that's it. That's, that's how it's, that's, that's it. That's, and it was. So here's the same story. Here's the same story. And I mean, this story has been confirmed by multiple, multiple people in and out of Maple Creek that when Alan Drever used to drive his propane truck all over and deliver propane, um, there was issues he was having with farmers' wives. And he literally was taking off some of the route of these farmers' wives because of the harassment that he was doing. And what I was told that it was taken to the police, the police took it to the church and the church said they would handle it. And had that been then, fucking yeah. handled way back then, guess what? I wouldn't have went through what I'd gone through. So I am, yeah. that's why when I did my report, I did not allow the RCMP there in Maple Creek to have anything to do with my report because I knew that if it had fallen into the hands, guess what it would? It would have been, been, been like, oh, well, gone to the but church. Handled and by the church. Yeah. And we know what kind of what they do. 
I, I knew I was going to get passionate in the, in this, in this, in this podcast today, because it's just so unnerving. Here's the rest of that. I just pulled up the rest of the next uh, part of that um, message that you had on Facebook it says below is a picture of the warden on the can of Stanton stain I'm using today. Should I be wearing a skirt? God. And it literally sits here and it tells do not take it internally, keep out of reach of children for industrial use only. And I do believe it says, um, it might not be on this one. There was another one that actually this can be absorbed through skin. Yeah. 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 Listen, this is what I want to read. And we are going to, I haven't, didn't warn Terry on this because I didn't even, I forgot about it. So just now this product contains chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer and birth defects or other reproductive harm. I'm going to ask you, were you doing the spray booth when you were pregnant? Um, I was not stationed in the spray booth at the time, but I did help in the spray booth from time to time. Yes. And my, my, my sanding station, um, it, in the beginning I was sanding, um, was right beside the spray booth and I could smell the chemicals all the time. And, and so did they have an uh, extract fan for the spray booth to pull the fumes out? Um, the, they do. Some of them were not working properly at the time. One of them, the motor was broken and it uh, spun too fast. It was making the, it was drying the stain too fast. So I couldn't use it until they fixed it. It took them several years to fix it. So in the meantime, when, when OHS came in, um, so the fans were not on, um, I wasn't pregnant at that time, but they, um, they just told me to lie and say that I was just doing my setup. That's why the fan wasn't on and that it would be on when I started spraying, but wow. They never came. They never, in all the years I worked there, I never, ever, ever met an OHS person. Not Whoa. once. So Not just once. for the sake and of they the were listen- there. Just for the sake of the listeners, um, this is a spray booth. It's actually a cabinet door shop. So what yes. they're actually building is cabinet doors. And yes. so Terry's job is to take the cabinet doors from small doors up to very large doors. I um, did. Take them out yeah. to a spray booth, and then her job is to stain them, to seal them, um, to varnish them. And when that factory was first started, they were actually doing that in the main part of the factory, but the fumes became so strong that they had to start a spray booth outside the main building, um, which, and it was young men that were doing the spraying then, but it became so hazardous that they literally had to start a separate building out behind the main factory so not only do you have sprays stains varnishes sealants you have the weight of great big heavy oak mahogany pine these are solid wood doors is that fair oh yeah and I also did um because we do custom kitchen high-end um some of the clients who were working out of smaller shots also shipped all of the cabinetry I did all the island panels. I did the hood, um, anything for the fans. I did crown molding. I did all of the uh, baseboards. Um, Yeah, from everything by myself. And during your pregnancy, like how how was your pregnancy with them? Because I know that you 
I know that you had, you were having, you, you did have issues in your pregnancy, right? Or was it after your pregnancy? That you- um, so in my probably late second trimester and third trimester, I was getting a lot of swelling and water retention because of the long hours standing on my feet. I was working from um, six in the morning. Um, at that point, we stopped at 10 to seven um, because the brethren had to go to church. So we would work until as close to seven as possible. Um, and that's all on the feet. There are no chairs in the shop. There is no sitting down during the day unless you leave and go to um, the you know, staff room or whatever. Um, so that cement floors on your feet, 12 hours. The doctor told me and sent them a letter stating that I was to work no longer than six hours on my feet or at all six hour days. Um, and no longer than an hour at a time sitting or standing. I needed to sit. Um, They did not, I I think that lasted for a day. And then they did their kill me with kindness smile just this once, it's really important. This is a big client. Um, I did not get any prenatal care in the last, in the second trimester or third trimester because I was not given time off. They couldn't afford to give me time off to go to prenatal care. Um, So my doctor forgot to refer me to the maternity clinic in Medicine Hat until uh, my last couple weeks of pregnancy. Um, I was ordered off of work finally after eight weeks or after my eighth month because Cutting Edge would not um, abide by the, the rules. And I was having problems with blood pressure and stuff. So, um, when my son was, was born because I didn't get that prenatal care, they did not find the genetic heart defect. He was sent home healthy and he, uh, went into cardiac arrest while I was breastfeeding him. And it was a long journey to um, the hospital. It was actually Lisa Bond was the first person to know that my son had died. She called me at 9.05 and my son had been declared dead at nine o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm so sorry. Yeah. So they would not give me my job back. I lost my mat leave. Um, yeah, I had to go back to work and find a job and carry on. They are so heartless. It is. It's just, it's, it's just with your story and the amount of layers that you have to it. I hope that every person in Maple Creek right now is finding some sort of compassion for what you have been through and can give you the support you need because you need it. And I mean, I've spoken to you about this before is that you do, you need the support of Maple Creek. You need the support of, because this is not just something that you experienced 30 years ago. This is something that you're in the absolute throngs of trying to regain 
your equilibrium back. And it's hard. I mean, yes, you needed me to come forward and us to have this contact, but that also meant you having to open up that door again to finally deal with everything. Right. And I mean, that is not an easy thing to do. I mean, I can't even imagine even me leaving at 17, if I would have had to deal with what I'm dealing with now back then, I don't think I would have been able to do it. So I have such utmost respect and compassion for you for what you're having to walk through right now. And I know it is tough. I understand. Like I, I can't even imagine what you're having to walk through. Um, I mean, we, I, people can put the dots together, you know, I mean, there's, I think this needs, I think your case needs to go beyond um, the authorities. And I, I mean, we have talked many, many times at the, the different avenues that this should be taken. They need to be held responsible. They need to be held accountable. I mean, you have so much, so much proof of what you went through in there. So I'm going to go into, and just, let's just share the screen again. Um, so yeah, like you see the do you see the respirator mask is so big that it didn't fit on my face, so I had to tie it tighter in the back. Yeah. And so this is you about to go into the spray booth. Yeah, this is me in the spray booth. Or and yeah. like look at your the bare skin that is showing. Yeah. And did you ever enter the spray booth like this pregnant? Uh, when I was pregnant, I didn't have a respirator or anything. Mm. When I was pregnant, that was in the very beginning. That was 2003, four, five. Um, they hadn't really embraced technology yet. Mm. Everything was really, uh, there were no computers at that time. There were, we were not allowed internet. There was no music allowed, um, no fax machine, faxes were done from the Ford dealership. Um, they told me, even, even later on when I wasn't pregnant, when I was managing the spray booth, that the masks were not necessary at all in there, that nothing, they said it was totally safe um, to breathe it in. Uh, the mask was just my preference to help with fumes because they can give you a headache at first. Wow. And I did I, pass out once from the heat. Um, and Tim actually caught me. You passed out. He, happened to be there. he caught me when I fell. He, he was like, Whoa, lucky I was there. You would have hit the floor. So I went outside, I threw up and then I went back into the spray booth because we were on a deadline. And did you have to carry heavy doors around while you were, while you were pregnant? Oh, everything. Uh, that, yeah. I was lugging along because at the, uh, in my second and third trimester, they moved me from sanding to running the panel chop saw. So I ran the panel chop saw. So I was at the beginning of the line. Uh, I was um, lugging big stacks of like two by twelves um, to cut That'd down. It was my those. job to cut them down. Um, I was carrying a big right stack of them that day. Uh, a big pile of wood had fallen from a scaffolding on uh, above my head we didn't wear hard hats and it fell on my head while I was pregnant and it fell down it scraped I had road rash down the side of my face all down my arm my leg that was exposed um I I was bleeding and I was lugging these big long boards and Lisa came in and she said put those boards down 
and sit down right now. She went into Tim's office. She yelled. Her arms were flailing. She told Tim that there is no way that she could do that eight months pregnant or pregnant at all. And there's no reason I should be doing it either. And bring me a damn chair and find me something else to do. So they did bring me a stool that was way too high for me. I had to climb onto it. Um, and I was, they changed me to color matching. So I was doing those boards like that. And what you do is you put all those little boards together. So it looks like one cohesive piece of wood. So you have to color match it, make it look like it fits together. So, and I would stack them like that and then push them on the roller. Um, that lasted for about a half day. Um, because there really wasn't enough color matching to keep me busy at that point. It was early on in the days we were only doing maybe 75 to hundred doors a day at some, at later on, we were doing 900 doors a day. Um, that's what we had to push to. Um, and then I was back on my feet all day and doing the same lugging. And that's when the doctor took me off hmm. and said, no more. Wow. Let's go yeah. back to some of these. Let's go. Yeah. Okay, so this is this is showing you, you can see the spray paint all over your face here. Yeah, that's that's not even spray paint. That is um, ML Campbell um, stain. It's very, very toxic oil-based stain. Wow. And then this is, you got, looks like paint all over your arm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what happened here? So that was when I was in the spray booth. I had finished my day. I was, or I was in the half day. I was cleaning my guns to switch to a different color. I had um, safety goggles on and I had a respirator that didn't fit properly. Um, I was spraying the gun into one of those pails. We saw those pails that were stacked up. Um, uh, we haven't got there yet, the but I'll, I'll bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the pails that I used to shoot the, the gun wash and clean the lines out with. So those pails contain primer, paint, right gun wash, um, you name it. Um, lacquer, color lacquer. Uh, and when I shot it in, it's shot up. It's sprayed up. It was such a freak thing. It shot up the nose piece and under my safety goggle and into my eye. Wow. Um, the booth is soundproof and there's just a little window, which is really was dirty and covered in, you can't see through it really. It's very small. Um, I couldn't get help. Uh, I was in pain. So I went to the human resources office. It was the closest door, but, and I knocked on there. They came running out. Uh, they took me to the eyewash station. The eyewash station had not been refilled from the last time. So there wasn't any eyewash. There wasn't enough in there. And we had to flush my eyes for several minutes. And there was only enough for a few seconds in the gun wash or in the eye station. So that's when Tim and Drew took me into the chemical shower with my clothes on and showered and, and rinsed my eyes. Then took me to the hospital in the middle of winter, minus 40 in my wet skirt and my wet shirt, which you could see my bra <laughs> right through um, to the hospital. And I sat there for four hours, got my eye patch and they said it was fine. The doctor was like, okay, it's good. I did not like that. So I made an appointment with my optometrist 
and I went in the next day. I took the 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 MS what is it the MSDS sheets for all of the chemicals that I used, all of the chemicals that could possibly be in there. I took those sheets in to him. He checked my eye. He said he didn't think the eye was going to be permanently damaged. He was more concerned and he saw all the paint and stuff on me. He was more concerned with the fact that I was working on those with those chemicals on a daily basis and that it was absorbing through my skin. Yeah. And he told me to find a different job. It was not safe. I was going to get cancer. That's oh, what wow. he So I wore that eye patch and I went back to work. Wow. I got a so total day. disregard for safety. No regard for safety. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. Yeah, and no. I can tell you that is universally the case among the brethren, yeah. brethren businesses. They, it, it's sort of part of this idea that they're above the law. They, oh, they yeah. just think safety regulations are a joke, and if they can get around them and make more profit, that's great. And particularly, yeah. Yeah. Lisa's daughter was working in there with me and Lisa came to me after a few months because um, Monica was working with me after uh, after school and on weekends a bit in the spray booth and Monica started having problems with her shoulder and arm and carpal tunnel and really bad shoulders like me and Tim or Lisa had freaked out because she took her to doctors and there was nothing going on she was terrified she told me she was terrified Monica even had cancer she demanded an MRI and then she said to me, she's like, it's from this job, isn't it? And I said, yes. At that point, Monica went to the front office and I continued in the spray booth. And after that, no brethren's worked in there unless they absolutely had to. At one point they had to because we all left. Um, but yeah, so it was okay for me to work in there. But, but not, not enough for them. them. Yeah. But then yeah. shortly after, right after that, Monica, because they don't believe in, in doing workers comp or whatever, um, she crashed her car and she claimed that the shoulder problem was part of the accident. And she went to physiotherapy on, on the car insurance. <laughs> Absolutely typical. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, no regard. Mm. Yeah. So backpedal, yeah. just backpedal. This is just a little bit of history. Yeah. When I told you that they first started that booth outside. Yeah, the two young brothers that were selected to work in that booth refused to go into that booth without a complete hazmat suit from mm -hmm. head to toe, um, yeah. and a complete respirator. Yeah, um, and that's that's what the agreement was that in order for them to be safe working in mm -hmm. that booth, that's what would be required. Yeah, and I did not have yeah. that. Yeah, when they put the booth inside, I did not have that. And I went through, I believe, four male assistants who all made more money than I did. I trained them. They only did a quarter. They were only trained to do a quarter of what they did. All of the last finishing touches like top coat, um, glazing, antiquing, any of that was done by me. So they only did a quarter of what I did. And they made, I believe, $6 an hour more than I did to start. Um, they all quit because they were getting rashes, headaches, and throwing up and vomiting in front of me and complaining. They all left because of the, the chemicals in there and because of the back and shoulder issues from all the heavy lifting. I am the only one that lasted. And again, I am under five feet tall and um, 
as far as big, well, you'll see, I think there's a later picture of great big panels that I was lifting by myself. Yeah. So I've got, I don't know yeah. if you can see this up right here. This is a huge long panel here. You can see the, the, the pails of stuff on the side. Can you see that Terry? Yeah. Yeah. Those, so those are the sludge pails, the empty pails with all the sludge. And I had to take those out to a drum that was outside on the opposite side of the shop to dump them. Um, the other option was to ask Alan or um, Garth to help me. I refused. I would not at all ever ask them to come help me. So yeah. I did them myself or my sons came in and did it for me. Wow. Yeah. Unpaid. 12 years that. old. Okay. Let's, let's talk about this, this injury that you had. Yeah. This is kind of, <sighs> yeah. Explain this, explain this picture here. Okay. So that's the chisel. Um, we, I was doing some filling and stuff on some doors. Uh, and for some of it, we use like um, polyfiller when it's white. Um, the lid for the polyfiller had been lost. So they were using that chisel to shove into the hole to keep it from drying out. Um, so I took it out. I was using the polyfiller. I was holding the tube. I put the, the chisel back into the tube. It went through the side of the, the tube and went through the palm of my hand. I pulled oh. it out. I squeezed my hand kind of like a tent almost. I went to the Iowa to the first aid station and tried to clean it up with a band-aid, tried to put a band-aid on it. Um, one of them came out and said, well, you can't do that. It's not clean. Um, cleaned it up with some alcohol wipes and said, oh, maybe you better go to the hospital. So I went to the hospital. I got two stitches and then I came back to work. <laughs> yeah. Put vet wrap around it to prevent the the stitches and stuff from getting uh, sawdust and chemicals in them. And I mean, let's just let the listeners and viewers knows, know that, I mean, cutting edge have had people work here and digits being cut off, right? Like, oh yeah, I've, I've watched it. I've seen it. <laughs> so this has happened multiple times at cutting edge, like injuries. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Multiple, yeah. multiple uh, severing of digits. And how many times I, has I OHS been there? I used to joke about it at the end of the day. I was like, look at that. We got through the day without someone cutting off a finger. Wow. And did OHS ever show up? Like, did you, did you see them there no. regularly? No. They did show up, but I never, ever saw them come past the front or else they would send me on a lunch break so that I wouldn't talk to them. I yeah. never spoke to them. Not once. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So we've got some other pictures I want to show you, but they are kind of gruesome. So, I mean, for those yeah. that um, don't have a strong stomach, I suggest that you don't look at the next pictures that we're going to show. So um, explain what happened. Let's, let's talk about what happened. I'm not going to leave it on here. I'm going to go to the next yeah. one, but I just yeah, want to show people. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's just, okay. So I had, I had to have carpal tunnel syndrome or surgery after working there for so long from from holding and staining the doors and stuff. So I was off on medical leave while I was waiting for surgery because I was um, ordered to not use that arm at all until surgery. Um, actually that, that wrist is now being fused because it has no, there's nothing left in it. So I have to have that wrist fused. Wow. Um, but so, 
I was on EI. EI ran out for, for sick leave before, um, before my surgery date even hit. So I was off without income um, from October until December because the doctor did not clear me to go back to work until beginning of December. Um, so I had no income from them. Uh, when we took off the bandages, it didn't, it wasn't healing properly. We were having issues with it. Um, opening and stuff like that. Uh, Tim was not asked me to show him the stitches, take off the bandage. He did not like the way it looked. He said, my doctor was a fraud. He emailed my doctor, um, asking him to look at it again. Um, and then he told me to get a second opinion because he needed me back in the spray booth. And let's, let's talk about this doctor. They didn't, what did, what did, what did they call this doctor? Oh, so the medical note from uh, that was not from the service. Oh, oh this is one this, this is a different doctor. There was a oh, medical okay. note from, yeah, from a different injury. I had so many, uh, a different injury. Um, and he had ordered me off work for several days. I had torn the tendons in that same arm um in my forearm um and he had ordered me off work uh tim refused to accept at first refused to accept the doctor's note because that particular town doctor they believe um works for the bad side (laughs) 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 wouldn't even say it out loud whispered it works for the other guy Wow. So, so like what, do, what do you think? What what do they yeah. what do you think they meant? That he was sort of satanic or yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Satan yeah. Wor- he, he said he worshipped <laughs> the other guy. <laughs> well wow. worshipped the other guy. Yeah. yeah that's pretty funny. That, that's that's kind, kind of the pointed downstairs. I see. Well, that's the pot calling the kettle black, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, right. <laughs> I love how the world is just so black and white for them, right? Like there's just sides, yeah. like right? One yeah. side yeah. and the other side. There's yeah. there's there's black and white. Oh, and women, uh, the reason they didn't take me back after my last injury is because they said women are weaker and don't recover from that kind of injury. That's what they told WCB when WCB tried to work with them. I was supposed to go back from a, another injury that um, I was supposed to start going where you go like part-time and work up kind of light duty. They said they had no light duty jobs. They told me before that they did not no longer had a job for me, that women do not come back from this kind of injury in their opinion, because women are weaker. <laughs> WCB wow. WCB well. told them that it was against the law. They had to give me my job back. They said they would not. WCB told me that they do not unfortunately enforce. So I would have to go through the labor board and make a, a claim that that can take years. My husband also worked there. Uh, he was an immigrant. He's an immigrant. He had immigration status. So we could not afford to lose the job. So I didn't fight it. And I lost my job. That was in, I believe, 2019. Mm-hmm. And I was still being stalked at that point. So another example of blatant disregard for the law. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so again, just to just to kind of recap, the same perpetrator that was abusing Cheryl in, in what year would that have been, Cheryl, that that started? 
uh, probably like 1977. Wow. Is still stalking women in 2019. Well, and he had, I mean, he abused my uncle who was born far before me right so and i mean there's stories that have landed in my lap about ellen's dad so we know that this is an issue within yeah yeah and the only reason he stopped stalking me then is because my husband left cutting edge and went to a different job so he didn't know when my husband was home or not Hmm. that's the only reason he stopped Hmm. is because he no longer knew if i was alone or not so um, I mean, we've had many, many, many conversations where I'm listening to your stories. I mean, you could write an absolute series on just, oh, yeah. just, uh, just cutting edge and Maple Creek in itself. Yeah. Um, one of the things that shocked me when I, when I've talked to you is the amount of trauma and the way that you talk, it's like you were an ex member, like you've talked about you know, the, them shunning you for certain things and the way that they treated you. And the, at one point where you talk, where you were like, you didn't even see a way out of how that you were going to find a way out of, out of cutting edge and out of the PBCC um, snares to be able to get to where you are today. Yeah. And I think that it's super important I mean, it's, you're not the first person that we've, we, we've sat and talked to. I mean, we did a, we did a podcast with Christine from, I think it was New Zealand. Wasn't she from New Zealand? I think she's from New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. Yep. And she had a nervous breakdown after she got left. She, she let go of her job. And I think well, one of the things that you had mentioned to me is that you didn't even realize how deep you were inside them until you got out and tried to rebuild your life back up again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they even did my taxes and they messed them up so bad that I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And when, when they messed it up um, and I went to them for help to try and fix it, they said it was unfortunate. They call themselves Christians too. Like this is nowhere near, nowhere near. I mean, to the tune of $60,000. Yeah. Wow. I made I made $13 an hour there running the spray booth. And do you do you did you get paid less than everybody else there? Yeah. yeah. We weren't allowed to talk about our wages. We signed a thing where we weren't allowed to share our wages with each other. But when they were hiring my new assistant, they put an ad on um they don't advertise in town. They advertise out of town usually, but it was online and I found the ad and I wish I could find the picture. I think it was in an old set that I deleted, but it was the, it was a picture of the ad for my assistant starting at $18 an hour. Wow. So I knew what my assistant was making when he started and I was making 1375 because I asked for a raise and I got 75 cents. Hmm. If there was something that you could say back to them at Cutting Edge, what would it be? Oh my God. I know it's hard to, it's hard to come down to, but like, what do you think their biggest issue was there? There's lack of humanity. Yeah. Such a good answer. Wow. Grand answer. 
I didn't think that was going to be the answer, but that is a very good answer. Yeah. And I felt like a thing. I yeah. felt like a toy to them. And those, those kids, Drew, Derek, Monica, Joel, Carla, those kids used to come in and trick or treat to me like they would come in and they'd be a lot we we would put masks on kind of at Halloween in the early days and kind of dress up because they weren't allowed to go trick-or-treating but it was a nice fun little thing and they were like we can get a costume and the kids came in and delivered candies and Drew and and Derek used to come in after school they'd ride their bikes and I used to keep slush money in the corner of my station and they and gum and candy and they knew that even if I wasn't at my station, there was money for a slush and there was money for candy and there was candy and they could help themselves. And they came to see me every day and we talked and those kids turned around and grew up and I watched it. And then they turned on me. That's hard. Mm. And I am so, I'm so wrapped up in this because I was in their homes. They brought me in. I was in their homes. I became a part of their life. And I put my heart and soul into that company because I thought that it was, I don't know, because I have a strong work ethic because I want to do my best because, but it, I thought it, when I wasn't at work, I was thinking about work. I was either trying to figure out how I was going to get done what I had to get done and overwhelmed and in pain and scared. I was vomit every day I had to go to work because I was scared all day. Um, and I don't know when that came because at first it was like a family I didn't have. Yeah. And now I am so conflicted with the fact that I feel a bond with them. I feel like family. You feel like this is what I was meaning when I talked to you, you're going through the same ambiguous grief that we go through when we have to leave behind our families. And when you would talk about it, it was just like, wow, this, this you weren't even an ex member, but yet you were so involved in their lives. I remember you telling me stories of being on Tim and our, or Tim and Lisa's living room floor at playing with the kids. And I'm just like, wow. Like it's just, it's such my maternity skirts were Lisa's. She altered them for me. My kids and her kids traded hand-me-downs because it just worked for sizes. So let's tell the viewers what actually got you fired in the end. What caused this shunning, so to speak, that happened? The final one. The final one. So explain to them as much as you can. I mean, obviously, we're not going to give the yeah. details, but yeah. Yeah. So there was an incident where a mem uh, uh, another employee was sexually assaulted at work in front of us. I it was my, you know, it was a supervisor of mine. I became really irate. I went into the front office and Bev and Krista Drever were in there. Tim was away and I was screaming. I, I told them what happened. 
I said, this is unacceptable. This is sexual assault. And this isn't the Not first a- time that you had witnessed this, right? It was the first time I had witnessed it. Yes. Oh, okay. And apparently it happened the day before as well. Okay. And apparently it had been ongoing. This is what I found out. Um, so when I said, I said, as far as I'm concerned, um, any supervisor who does that does not deserve my respect. I will not answer to him. I want it dealt with and he should not have his job and he should be prosecuted. So they said, Oh, of course. Well, um, I waited. I asked the person several times over the if they had heard anything from them, nothing had been done. So I went to OHS and filed a report. They arranged a phone call with the person and discussed with the person their options and said it was absolutely unacceptable that the police should be involved. The victim at that point did not want to make any waves or make them angry because they're his friends. Um, so we were not allowed to go forward. So what she told the victim, the, uh, supervisor was called in from OHS or yeah, from OHS. And the victim was told that if it happened again, he was to come directly to me, tell me I would phone the police. I would phone, uh, contact the front office and I would phone them immediately and it would be handled. Uh, three days later, I was fired. So then I sent another email to this supervisor at OHS, um, letting them know that I had been dismissed and that there was nobody inside watching the victim and protecting the victim. And I was worried for the victim's safety. The supervisor felt that it needed to be investigated more. My dismissal, there was a huge snowstorm. Uh, the meeting got canceled. I got scared because my husband still worked there and of his immigration status, we needed the money. Um, and again, I chose not to because she's like, well, we, you know that they can't fire you, but you know that they find loopholes. Uh, yeah, they've exactly. already fired you. And I didn't want to go back. I, I, I didn't want to go back. Um, but I needed, I, I didn't know what to do. So I left it again. And that's, that's why I was fired. It's just, there's just so many layers to this. Absolutely. So many layers. Um, and I have those emails from OHS. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like I, I, I mean, I know you filed a police report. I just think that this needs to be taken further than just um, a police investigation. These people need to be held accountable, right? Yeah, and I need protection. Yeah. Like I have been told by the police that I need to leave here and I need to move. How many people can pick up and move? Why the hell should I have to move? I'm the victim. Why the hell should I have to drive an hour and a half to go get groceries and to go get therapy for what happened to me? Yeah. Well, they're walking the streets here. And you've got children. Like there's just no way Like, that's what I mean. It's like, it's hard for you just to pick up and go settle into another community. And I have nobody. She shouldn't have to. Nobody should have to leave. They left me with no money. I made no money there. They messed up my taxes. I don't get GST. I don't get anything. Um, 
what am I going to do? What, what's my income? Yeah. I can't work like I am. I can, as I am right now, I can barely function. I know. And I mean, we're very grateful that you, you were able to come to, I, I think this, I'm hoping this gives you a layer of healing of yeah. getting your story out there. And oh, I need it out. Yeah, you didn't, you've needed it off your chest for a while. Um, and I just hope that, that the support that comes your way can elevate you to a place where you feel that you might be able to crawl out of the hole that you're in. And I mean, this I, whistle, I would like to lose the whistle that I wear. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to feel safe in my house. I would like to feel safe outside. I would like to be able to go and take my dogs for a walk and feel safe. And I don't, I feel safe. Yeah. If I leave the house, I drive by Alan's house to make sure that his van is still in the driveway. And then I go to cutting edge to make sure Garth's truck is at cutting edge. And then I go and do my business and then, and only then, and I only do fast trips because they have family members yeah. and I bump into family members wherever I go. And before it used to be smile, they'd stop and talk. Now I get look to the feet. The women look to their feet, walk by me fast. The men cross the street and walk on the other side of the street from me. Unless you're in the post office or where they can't see you. And then, you know, we have these crazy hit and runs that are happening. And that's really why I wanted to get you to come on now is to call them out on it. Right. And I mean, I'm going to call them out on it. Right. I mean, there's, I mean, I mean, anybody that can, has been listening to what's happening inside the PBCC can realize that we believe that that's who is doing it. Yeah. You know, but, um, and it's that fear. I don't know for a fact, but it's that fear. What's next. Every time I drive on the highway has something happened to my car. Yeah. You've told me that. Yeah. I think, and I mean, if anybody's looked at some of the articles that we've put out there, I mean, we have, there's so much history at the lengths that the PBC go to. I mean, Richard can attest to this. Yeah. I mean, what they will go to, to end a story or to, oh, to cover have, something up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or to cover something up. Right. Oh, and if, so if, I do. There's no, they, they don't have any conscience no they don't they absolutely there's no conscience they're completely ruthless and it is it is in 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 coming forward and being vocal it actually gives you more safety and more protection absolutely yeah that's why i'm super glad i want all lies on me just not just theirs exactly yeah exactly right so if we could walk with you and walk into a town of maple creek uh town council meeting and if you could address them and say to them Look, guys, this is what I want you to know about the PBCC. We've, we've, you know, seen their reluctance to accept it when we don't want them to partner with RRT, you know, and they always come back with, oh, they seem like such nice people. Or it's not in their hands. It's the police. You know, it's the the authorities that need to do this. That's bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. You guys are sitting in the seats that have the power to do something instead of sitting there behind the scenes, pretending that you don't have any say in this. You You know that there are allegations out there against them. So you don't partner with them until the allegations are dealt with. Or you stay on, you find a way to be 
making this movement into spurring it into some sort of action where these people yeah. are taken off the streets. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead, Carmen. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, Stay no, partial. I was just going to say, if you, could walk, if you could walk in there, what would you say to them? Like, what, what do you want to tell them? We're, we're not safe. Yeah. Yeah. With these men walking the streets, driving the streets, we're not safe. Your children aren't safe. Your wives aren't safe. Your sons aren't safe. Yeah. Nobody is safe. Yeah. And I think I would echo that. I know Cheryl yeah. would. 100%. I mean, I just, you could put it in bold and all caps. And I think I if we could walk in there. I not feel safe in Maple yeah. Creek. And I will never feel safe in Maple Creek again. And, and I can tell you, because I know I've told you before, when I drove out of that town in 1998 and I drove down that highway, I just thought, I cannot wait to get away from here. Um, it, it's well, not safe. It's, it's dark. It's hateful. They're mean. It's just... Yeah. There's just nothing Christian about it. They're manipulative. Yeah. They manipulate. It's small little things, small little gaslighting, little yeah. manipulations and little, they dangle little carrots. Oh, well, we'll help you. And you, know, made, you made a statement earlier. You made a statement earlier that is very much um, whenever I talk to any kind of victims of Ellen's, um, it, you do, you feel owned. You feel like you're a toy, right? And I mean, I think he he learned it very well from being amongst the PPC members and his getting the protection. But it is you do you there is you don't and you get so caught in it that you you almost feel paralyzed inside it. And there's just it's I'm so, still paralyzed. Yeah, they're still it, in my head. I'm not out. Yeah, yeah. they're still yeah. controlling me. Yeah. yeah, they still have as long as I'm sitting here shaking, talking about them hiding with windows closed. There's, yeah. there's, I, I'm still in. I'm not out yet. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I hope. I hope I need this. I need something. I need something to happen from this because I need some closure. I need some healing and I need to move on. I need out. Yeah. And you need to be safe. And Nobody should safe. live and not feel safe. Yeah. Not in this day and age. Well, you know what, I, Terry? I've been in and out of hospital and I am back to hospital in yeah. a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You, you've gone. That's what I mean. Like you, what you've been yeah. through, through, through trying to climb out of all of this has been horrific. And, um, I, I don't think the authorities have done what they should be doing in your situation. Right. Um, you're in this still very active situation with them that needs to be, there needs to be way more happening than what is happening with you. And it is, it's sad. It is super sad that we have town council that are sending out emails to us saying that this has nothing to do. Yes, it does have something to do with you. You are representing the members and community of, of Maple Creek. You 100% have a hand in this. And I am, yeah. I am absolutely appalled at the emails yeah. that we got back. I mean, we Which obviously addressed it and I do. I thought that was just an easy way out of it. Anyhow, okay, Just push it aside. Exactly. Yeah. Doesn't exist. Just yeah. So we're going to wrap this up and you know, we'll have you back on again, Terry. This is only the beginning of unraveling this. Um, we're very, very grateful. Um, just stay on after we end this. Just, yeah. but I just, we want I'm to grateful. I'm grateful for this because honestly, I feel like what I went through, um, 
is pales in comparison to what you and the other victims inside went oh gosh to. no i would no i wouldn't do that at all Mm-mm. but mm. but you know i i just my heart goes out to you guys and i am just so grateful for meeting you and for mm-hmm. your strengths and your guidance through this because honestly speaking you this has been kind of like a light it's far off that's far off in that tunnel but yeah you definitely you guys have been a light we're very grateful that you thank you terry yeah 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 and i don't think i don't think that our trauma is any any worse than yours i mean what you went through is horrific we were born and raised in it i mean my my stuff started very very young not discounting it or anything like that but i mean it's what you went through is horrific, what you went and are continuing to go through. And I hope that this podcast sheds some light on why we've been such um, avid supporters and trying to give you that strength to get through what you're going through. And I hope that something comes from this. Um, but yeah, we're very, very grateful. Thank you so much for being on. Thank Stay you on here. Well, just hang on, Terry, and we'll just, yeah. yeah. You bet. Okay. Thanks everyone for coming by again. And we'll be here again next time. Much love to you all. Bye. Share your story or be a guest on the show. Email info.getalife at proton.me.